Welcome to the Recharge Your Life podcast with me, Dr. Carrie Ulrich and Kelly Gunther. We are thrilled to talk to people who have made a decision that recharged their lives. Often they push themselves out of their comfort zones and took risks. We want to know about that decision point. Why did they make that decision? And most importantly, how can we learn from them? Kelly and I are passionate HR professionals, and together we co-founded our HR consulting firm, Abrachi Group. We have talked to amazing people throughout our careers and listened to them as they made decisions that changed their lives and knew that these inspirational stories would help others. And why did we call it Recharge? It's based on a book I co-authored called The Way of the HR Warrior, and in it, we have a leadership model, CHARGE, which stands for courage, humility, accuracy, resiliency, goal-oriented, and exemplary. We know that people used one or more of these qualities to help them make their decisions, and we want to learn from them. Now, sit back, listen, and be inspired by these stories, and then do something to recharge your life. Let's get to it. Hi, everyone. It's Kelly. We're so excited to have Eileen Tarjan as our special guest. Eileen, founder of EMT Connects, is a dynamic human with 20 years of proven success in corporate human resources talent development, and coaching. In 2018, Eileen took some of her own best advice and has since been working independently while pursuing her master's in clinical mental health counseling, in which she'll be graduating in December 2021. Eileen works alongside select clients in career and life coaching, training, and mental health counseling settings. She's an experienced facilitator of wellness, as well as diversity, equity, and inclusion programs. Eileen will tell you that the most rewarding part of her life is connecting people to possibilities and increased mental wellness. Working with Eileen gives you immediate access to her positive attitude, adventurous spirit, and proven strategies to deliver the results you need. So Eileen, thank you so much for being with us. We always like to start our podcast by asking, what do you do when you want to push yourself and expand your thinking? I'm so excited to be here. Thank you so much. Um, I had to chuckle when I'm reading, you know, was preparing and thinking about what shows do I watch, what all these things. And I was like, guys, I'm in grad school. There is no show watching. There's uh, very little podcasting. And other than textbooks, quite honestly, uh, the Bible is really the only book that I consistently read. However, I do push myself. And so I don't want anybody to think that I'm some stagnant person who is so narrowly focused, they can't um, learn and grow and stretch. So I, I expand my thinking, quite honestly, through listening to my clients, both in the coaching and the counseling settings, because it just really fuels my curiosity. And so every day, I can definitely tell you every day, I am following a curiosity, something that has sparked my interest um, in that human connection that I have with my clients or my personal board of directors. And I'm diving into a variety of sources for research. And by research, I don't just mean Google. I mean actual research. So my span of where I push and expand my thinking is pretty, pretty broad. Uh, But I would say that it's really about staying curious and listening to other people and hearing about some real lived human experiences and then seeing how I can take that to better help uh, either myself to remove blind spots or to help my clients as they are working to heal and grow and kind of connect with their best potential. Hi, Eileen. Thank you so much for joining us and congratulations on almost graduating. Thank you for (sighs) taking time 
from what I know is very busy right now, because I think you're studying for exams, correct? I do have that big exam coming up. Yes. So yes, thank I do. you. Um, <clears throat> and for any of us who have been in, in grad school, we know that sometimes you just shut down everything else, including I think I have a stack of books that I swear I'm going to get to. And that was during my dissertation. And that was like 10 years ago. And I still haven't gotten to them. But what what was one of the things, because you were in corporate and then you kind of moved to the to, to mental health, and now you have all these textbooks around mental health. What's kind of a couple things that maybe stood out to you, Eileen, that you said, oh, oh man, that explains something, or that's really interesting. I never thought about it that way from the, all the classes you've been sitting through. Oh, you know, the first thing that jumps to mind is there's two things. One is there is such a um, huge population of people who do not feel seen or heard. Mm -hmm. And in just a conversation this morning, talking about how in HR and in that corporate space, um, that phrase of bring your whole self to work mm. was so common. I said it right a few times here and there until I realized it was really not happening that people, we would say, bring your whole self, bring your authentic self, all this goodness that we wanted people to bring, but we weren't prepared and we didn't hear and we didn't see people. And over my years in HR, seeing the increase in mental illness and covering that people were doing to come into the workplace, the amount of stress and pressures people not being comfortable to talk about getting a divorce or to say, I have a child that's, you know, really stressing me out because, you know, I, I don't know how to help them with what they're dealing with at school um, was just gritting against my soul. And now really understanding and learning more about where the root of that is. And, you know, takes me all the way back to this, the inner child, right? Go and tend to your inner child. And people are like, what are you talking about? Everybody needs to tend to their inner child. Everybody needs to go back and give ourselves what we needed um, to become whole and to become more fulfilled and to feel heard and seen and be able to tell people when we aren't feeling that. And I think the other part I'd, I would mirror and match up with what I experienced in corporate to what I have been really engrossed in the past couple of years is the amount of insecurity um, and lack of safety that people feel on a day-to-day -day basis, in their own bodies, in their own homes, in their own workplaces. And it's not just women. We spent so many years and I spent so many years focused on advancing women in the workplace and helping women build their confidence and um, move up to the top of organizations. And I've been working with far more male leaders and individuals since I left uh, to work on my own. And the secret's out. Men have just as many insecurities as women do. Yes. Um, and it's fascinating. It's fascinating. And I love it. I love being able to create safe space for people to tend to those insecurities, to feel safe, to be seen and heard. And that's honestly, like, I think what all of us truly desire, um, whether we're aware of it or not. Um, but we're just going to end the podcast there. That's it. It's all. That's it. Drop mic. We're done. <laughs> Please don't drop your mic. I think it's going to be really hard to listen to. Um, but I, I cannot tell you how much I love that. And that 
first the listening and being seen and heard. And that, to your point, cuts across gender, race, um, ethnicity. Kelly and I, and I know you too, when you talk to employees, they just, for the most part, want to be seen and heard. Mm -hmm. That's it. That's mm-hmm. it. And yeah. most, most of the conflicts come to, they're not listening to me. They're not paying attention to me. Um, and that that's really it. And, and to go back to the inner child, one of my favorite psychologists said to me a long time ago, he's like, look, most people get stuck at some age of their development. And you can kind of go back and see Oh, you're probably stuck at 14. You might be stuck at 15. <laughs> and and you, when you kind of start looking at people like that, you're like, oh, now I can see how to help you because yes. you're really stuck as a senior or you're stuck in college or something. Or some of us are stuck at eight years old. Yeah. Um, I'm looking at you, certain politicians. All right. Mm. Anyway, mm. Um, so, but, but that work that you do and that insecurity, all of us are insecure. It's not just for women or for just men. It really is. So I, I really appreciate that you said that. And that's why I feel like podcast over. Like if Pod- everyone could heal, heal your inner child, listen yeah. to it, yeah. and then um, deal with your what you're insecure about, uh, world's a better place. So thank you for joining us today. No, okay. All right. Okay, thanks. Great. Everybody go write a letter to your younger self and tell your younger self all the things you wish somebody had given you, told you, and provided for you. And I'll send you an invoice when you're done. Oh, first, for for those of us who have been in therapy, you know therapists love that one. Write a note to your inner child. What would you say to this inner child? I mean, it is the best therapeutic tool. It's a great one. I got to tell you a funny real quick. Um, Last year when I was working with my therapist um, to work through some re-triggered trauma after the George Floyd murder and all of the sadness that we were experiencing, um, my therapist said to me, wow, really sounds like you didn't feel heard in your family. Mm. And I looked at her from way across the room masked up and I go, well, that's some therapist bullshit if I've ever heard it. (laughs) And she was like, well, so am I wrong? And I go, I'm the youngest of five. I am the favorite child, aunt, daughter, sister. I'm the favorite. Everyone knows it. I'm 45 and you can ask anyone in my family. My parents will say it out loud. I promise. I'm the loudest I was the cutest. I was everyone's favorite. How could I have not been heard? But she was right, damn it. <laughs> uh, did you ever did you ever say, I'm sorry, that wasn't therapist bullshit? Did you ever round loop back to that? And apologize? No. <laughs> what? My therapist, she knew me. She knew me. She was for me. She was for me. She was for me. So instead I said, Okay, I see where you're going with that. You know, good therapist response. And we unpacked a whole bunch of stuff. Oh, I now love I'm really that. loud and heard. I, I love you. You're like, I'm the cutest. I everyone heard me. I was the most favorite. I really hope the rest I would say I would love for your family to to listen to this, but they'll listen to it and go, Yeah, no, she is the favorite. We all know that. Absolutely. Like, seriously, I'm Still daddy's little girl. I'm still mom's fave. I mean, there's no, now look, when it comes to favorite aunt, no offense to my family, but offense given, 
is they don't give me a lot of competition. (laughs) <laughs> they don't make it hard. So anybody who's listening from the Tarjan clan of all sorts, step it up. Step I it up. cannot wait for this podcast to be launched on your social media because I know you're active on Instagram at least and see all the comments from the family. So yes. I want the family to comment like, no, she's not the favorite. Yes, she is. We all know. I love that. I she love is. that. I am also the favorite child, but I am an only child. So <laughs> by default, I have to be the favorite. Yeah. Well, well you're you one go. of my favorites, and I'm not just saying that because I'm on your podcast and I like what you've written and done in the Stop. HR community, but, you know. Stop. All right. On that note, let's get okay. to the big question, sister. Okay. All right. What is the decision that you made that changed the trajectory of your life, and what are some of those charged qualities that you use to help you make that decision? Hmm. So, again, you're funny because I was like, just one? Just yeah, one? Right. It's hard. It's sometimes really hard to pick just one. And- we, we joked with Eileen earlier, if she has two or three more, we'd be happy to have part twos and part part two and part three. Um, but yes, you only have to pick kind of one right now, my friend. Okay. So um, it's going to be, a, I'm going to kind of roll a couple things because they backed themselves up. So the, the first decision that I think in 2018 wasn't made by me, but definitely changed the trajectory of where I am today and where I'm going and everything that's ahead is I was let go from my position um, in a PR agency that was going through what we would have called a not so agreeable merger. Right. Mm. Um, And looking at relationship landscaping and all that good stuff, I was like, I don't even want to be here. Right. You know, that company, you know, you don't want to work for anymore because the closer to the top you get, the more you see. And you're like, oh, the Wizard of Oz is here. So I went, um, that famous call came in from the New York office. It was about mm, eight minutes, maybe, maybe 10, uh, letting me know that, you know, effective in about 45 minutes, we're no longer going to have you as part of the team. All that logistical stuff happened, hung up the phone. My other leader says to me, so what are you going to do now? I said, well, I'm kind of hungry. I think I'm going to get lunch. (laughs) He was like, I kind of meant like next. I go, oh, then I'm going to pack up my office and go the fuck home. (laughs) And of course, he's all miserable. He's got the icky tummy. He's feeling terrible. I called two people who are part of my personal board of directors, which is a whole other topic. But um, both of these people first asked me if I'm okay. How am I doing? And the second thing they asked me, was, so are you going to do your own thing now? And are you going to stop going to work for other people in their box? Mm. And I was like, oh, well, that's an idea. I don't really have a thing. I don't know what my thing would be. But anyways, I'm going to pack up and go home. I slept that night the best I'd slept in over a year. Wow. I slept till 830 in the morning. And for everyone who's listening, who works full time, who has to get up in the When's the last time you got to sleep a whole night through till 830 in the morning? Exactly. Yep. Like never. And I woke up and I was like, that's it. I'm going to do my own thing. And I don't know what my thing is. I've had no pre, you know, pregame here. I don't have a plan. I don't have any clients, uh, but I'm not going to go back to work for other people because I need to be myself. Mm-hmm. And from that point to today, right now, I've literally spent the past few years shedding the imposter syndrome Mm. that I had built up over the years of HR and working in corporate. 
And it started way back. Um, I used to joke and tell my parents who were top executives in the insurance business, I'm never going to work like you guys. I'm never going to climb the corporate ladder. Oh, your guys are so boring. All you do is work, work, work. I don't want any of that. And they laughed at me for 20 years. Right. Um, But that decision and being able to truly dig in and shed all of that imposter stuff, Mm -hmm. all of the things that I'd been hiding, which is part of where I think the backstory of that decision kicked back to 25 years ago, where, uh, as we talked a little bit about, I recently celebrated my 25th soberversary, which for those unfamiliar means um, I have not had alcohol, any drugs of any kind or substances. And for those who are curious, no alcohol means no wine as well. Wine is an alcohol. <laughs> I get that question all the time. They go, but you, Do you really? Wine. Yeah. Wow. That I wouldn't even. Okay. That's but, interesting. People are like, but wine's not alcohol. I'm like, it sure is. Okay. Somebody asked me the other day. So would you consider shrooms like something you wouldn't do? <laughs> shrooms? First of all, are you over the age of 25 and you're talking to me about shrooms? Like I'm confused. We still talk about shrooms when we're 50. Right. That's a thing. Um, so no substance is nothing. And so I, I did not share that loudly until this year. Mm. I didn't post in my professional world. I didn't talk about my sobriety as being sobriety. I just told people I don't drink mm-hmm. and they'd be like, Oh, that makes sense. You're so fun anyways. And all you got all that energy. And I was like, because I don't drink guys because I'm living a clean life. Right. But I didn't talk about it. And I used to sit in my office and can't hope people don't like ask me too much about why I don't drink because it catapult off of a really significant trauma that I experienced when I was 20. So I celebrated my 21st birthday sober. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, the summer of 96. So away at college, I had been in a swirl, a downward spiral of drinking, drugs, all kinds of just unsavory behaviors. Mm-hmm. And I witnessed the murder of my at the time uh, boyfriend. Mm. And that was the last time I used um, spent spent the weekend in the hospital with him. He was, you know, taken off life support a couple of days after. And I testified as the key witness for the murder trial. Ugh. And I didn't deal with it at the time. I mean, I came home and I went to a psychiatrist. God bless my mother who came and picked me up from college and brought me home safely. Um, but that psychiatrist, I can't tell you what he did for me. Mm. Can't tell you what we talked about. I can tell you I was in extreme trauma and shock, but I have no idea what work we did. Now that I'm doing this kind of work, I'm like, what the hell? Yeah, that wasn't helpful. I don't know what it did for me. Um, But sobriety was my only choice because I was only in that position because of the substance use and the Mm -hmm. behavior and substance use runs in my family. So it was not like a real big surprise. Right. Mm Then When I got back on my feet and started working in HR, I want to make sure nobody would know about that. So bring Mm. your whole self to work. Absolutely not. Mm. I was like bringing a smidge of it. I was bringing the corporate person that my father used to tell me about growing up. 
Mm. You leave your personal stuff in the parking lot on your way in. You pick it up on your way out. There's no personal days. There's no mental health days. And I, I embrace that and have this like dual, you know, persona. So in the office, that was what I was doing. I was conforming. I would follow the corporate rules. I was, you know, the dress code police as one of my now dearest and bestest friends was like, oh, I used to hate Eileen because she'd always be like, that's not dress code. You're on the dress code. <laughs> like, can you imagine that I had employees asking me, would it be appropriate and okay if I wore my hair braided? Wow. In the workplace. Because it was a business conservative yes. environment. Yep. yep. And I was like, I'll have to check on that. What? What do you mean I'll have to check on that? Who are you? Like, mm. do you normally get your hair braided? Is that how you handle your, like, so this, I look back and I'm like, what an ass. Why didn't I just immediately say yes? Yeah. Because I was conforming and I was hiding to make sure that people didn't see all of that other stuff Yeah. in the background. But you can only hide that for so long, right? Um, at least I felt. And, and it was yeah. probably like halfway through my HR career where I was like, oh, this is like terrible. I feel horrible. Like, it's like sickening to sit in my office hoping people aren't looking me up. And now everybody's going to go Google me. But it's like, did my boss look me up mm. in the hiring process? Because that's when it was a big thing, right? Like recruiters would start looking yep. and saying, well, I saw them on Facebook or this person did this. Look at what they have on their MySpace, which I'm too old. I never had a MySpace. Um, but just feeling all the time that I had to be a certain particular kind of way and not share my story, which thank you, Brene Brown for talking to us about vulnerability and storytelling and the power of that. Um, because people need to hear your stories. People need to hear my stories. Yes. My story is, is what makes me the dynamic human that I am and gives me the gift and ability to connect with all humans and give them safe space. I mean, first of all, thank you for sharing um, the very personal trauma that you went through. And when you talk about imposter syndrome, because I think a, a lot of people feel that for various reasons, it could be they're they're hiding this this trauma. They could feel like I'm not confident or, or qualified mm-hmm. for this role. What were some of the ways it manifested for you? Like you said, you kind of started to hate the job or felt sick about it. But what were some of the things that you were living with during this imposter syndrome? Like what with what were some of the the side effects of it? Mm, yeah. Um, there were physical, definite, so physically, I call it my burning chest feeling, mm. right? Where I would be in meetings, imagine, or even small individual conversations with leaders um, and hearing what I quite honestly, a lot of times was like bullshit coming out of their mouths. Um, and it was it was a period where I realized people are asking me to do things that felt unethical, which mm. 
maybe they weren't always, but yeah, they grit against my values. Mm-hmm. They grit against my moral compass. They grit against what I believe is choosing right over wrong. Mm-hmm. Um, I have, so, so physically I could feel the burn and that's like that, you know, some people say, I hate when I get mad cause I always cry. Mm-hmm. Well, sure. Because you haven't learned how to process the emotion through the tunnel yet. Right. Mm-hmm. So my emotion and my anger and my disgust would be burning me inside mm-hmm. literally. And then my face would start burning and I have very, very strong nonverbal communication. Mm-hmm. Like it was in my performance reviews. I mean, it's a tendency to roll her entire face when people <laughs> come to her office and disturb her. I'm like, yeah. they see I'm on the phone. Why are they standing in my doorway waiting? <laughs> like this HR, it's confidential, go away. Why, right. Set up an appointment. Of course, I roll my whole face. It would be great if she could work on that. Okay, I'll work on it. I'll work on it again next year, you know. Um, So my nonverbals would start talking very loudly. Yeah. Um, There were definitely, you know, some, there's some relationship damage along the way that I look back and I probably couldn't even tell you what their names are. So it couldn't have been too much damage or of value, but emotionally, um, you know, I couldn't sleep. I mentioned I slept the best night I'd slept in a year when I got let go from that company because every day I would go into the office and I'd be sick in my stomach. I'd have disruptive sleep. I could always eat. So eating has never been a problem for me. I can always eat. I never lose my appetite. (laughs) Um, But it also became harder and harder when people would come to me as a place to help them unpack what was their experience in the office, in the workplace. And for me to toe the line anymore, I couldn't do it. And I found over the years becoming so much more honest with people and that felt good Mm -hmm. and bullshitting didn't. Yeah. What? What, what do you think would have happened if they didn't lay you off in 2018? What if they promoted you? Like, what do you think you were getting to the point of you were just going to leave because you were feeling like you were becoming more free? You were saying things, um, maybe that you were feeling the burn even more and more. Like, what would you have done if, if they didn't lay you off in 2018? Yeah, what a great idea, right? If I had stayed there. Yeah. Um, I wanted out for a good 10 years. Oh, okay. 10 yeah. years, I Ten, years. Ten, 10 years. And I was thinking about the courage in the yeah. charge framework. Yeah. And I'm like, oh, I crack up because I was not everyone's best friend. Right. Yeah. And I quite often didn't take the easy way out. And I absolutely went toe to toe with leadership. Mm-hmm. Right? Now, I will say there's definitely examples of times when I didn't do that with much savvy. Okay. Mm-hmm. So, Going toe-to-toe with leadership, I maybe one time told our CEO that she should fire my boss because I didn't think she was good for our brand. Mm-hmm. That could be a pretty career-limiting. It sure can. <laughs> conversation. I was say, courageous and slightly nuts. Um, oh, and, and, like, is, 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 uh, they're very close or two sides of the same coin, as people say, right? Like, yeah. you kind of have to be a little, like, uh, really pushing the boundaries here. Yeah. Yeah. Um, 
but I got better at it and I will, and as much as I wanted out and I knew there was, you know, more that I was supposed to do than just, than just work in corporate, um, I couldn't figure out the path. So, Mm, okay. Going from corporate HR, progressive career and lifestyle to working in mental health. I couldn't see it. How do I go to school full time? I travel for work. I do all these things. Where would I get the money? All that stuff. But I went from six figure income to zero figure income overnight. And it was the best night of my sleep or best night of sleep. Right. That's been incredible. So I have, this is the happiest season of my adult life. Dropping that six figure income to get real with myself and to get to the real of work that I don't feel like I'm working to be able to help other people to learn how to have courage in a good way. Yeah. Right. Like don't show up how I did when I was being an asshole in my earlier years. Right. (laughs) Like I got fired early in my HR career and I tell people don't be scared to get fired because it's a really good experience. Yes, it is. It's a relationship breakup. Right. So It literally, like, I cried. I remember being in my car crying, and I knew I was going to get fired because I was a real ass, right? I was like, again, telling the bosses, this is unethical, and I'm not going to do that work. But can you imagine? Like, I try to think, what if I had followed that instinct of, this doesn't feel right to me. I'm not going to do the work. That was, like, in the first five years of my career that I did that. Mm. But I didn't fall. I didn't have the right balance of courage at the time. So now the courage for me to say after, again, that one night, I'm not going to go apply for jobs. I'm not going to alert my network, right? Which your network is your net worth. So if you need help, you raise your hand. I didn't start telling people I was let go and I'm looking for a new opportunity. I didn't dust off my resume. I didn't start hitting the apply button. I didn't reach out to executive search people that I knew. I sat my ass quietly and figured it out. Wow. I, I um, love it. It's kind of like you had this buildup of courage in a way for you. Like you had a courage for other people, meaning this is not right. This is unethical. You should fire this person. It's not for the brand. But the courage internally for you to step out and, and go do something that's better for your soul, mm-hmm. that mm-hmm. took a, a shake, a shake up for someone else to kind of intervene. And then, but that was a quick turnaround. Just one day you're like, and we're done. done. Yeah. Well, <laughs> cause I'm resilient, right? Done. Cause I'm resilient. Don't forget. I also think about the resiliency factor. Yeah. Like I've always been resilient. I mean, yeah. personally, but you're right. I like how, like, I like what you said about, I, I have always had courage for the other, yes. for other people. And yep. I would speak up. Like I've always been an ally and an advocate actively. So in, in the workplace, I couldn't just let somebody be mistreated. I couldn't just let somebody show up to the office knowing they'd been drinking half the morning and somebody say, well, as long as he just, as long as he just what takes his ass home, what are you talking about? He cannot stay here and just be in his office. No, no, no. Right. So, but again, because I was spending, I think so long trying to make sure that parts of me didn't show up or become apparent to other people. 
do you know how very few friends I had in the workplace? Not because people didn't like me, but because I had to really evaluate and assess what kind of trust and responsibility people could have in a friendship with me if we were socializing on a weekend and then come back to work on Monday. Yeah. And like, how awkward is this, Carrie, that I would like have these friends at work that weren't in HR and I'd be like, so listen, I just want to let you know, I'm totally cool with us trying to have a friendship, but like, we can't bring our weekend stuff back to the office and talk about it when we're here. Right. So like if I'm dancing on a, you know, pool table, sober, by the way, right. Um, I don't want to hear about it on Tuesday when I see you in the hall. And also if like there's a problem at work and I have to fire you, I'm always going to choose my job over you. Yeah. Like, what is that? That what? what, And I was just thinking so much energy that you, that, that went to that, went to protecting yourself, went to those conversations, went to the imposter syndrome that now, no wonder you, you totally have time to work and get a, and get your degree now because you've released all this energy that was focused on maintaining some negative crap for you. Yeah. And now it's like, oh, well, now I can do all these other wonderful things. And so, so what advice, because you have been through it, what advice do you have for people when they're at these, because lots of us get laid off. And mm-hmm. I will say every time I've either I've been laid off or, or I'm dealing with someone laid off and they seem sad. I'm like, trust me in six months, you're going to look back and say, this is one of the best things that happened to me Yeah, um, for many of us. If you, if you, if you, I'll use the word pivot. Um, but sometimes it really is, it's a blessing in disguise. So what are some of the advice, uh, pieces of advice you have for other people? Well, let me reinforce the message of six months from now, you're going to see that this was one of the best things that ever happened nice. to you. Yep. I am a firm believer that every single thing that happens has purpose and is intentional. Mm-hmm. Period. Everything I have gone through, all the experiences I've had and I've been gifted to have have created me to be the exact human that I am right now. Mm. And it's true for everybody, right? So we can't control what happens around us. We can't, it's out of our control, right? We can't control if we're going to get let go because the company had to reduce headcount. Um, We can't control, uh, you know, the weather, all kinds of things. We get to control individually. I get to control how I respond Mm -hmm. to the experiences I am gifted with. So, just sitting on that mindset will help people, right? Yes. This. But when I thought about like, what do I, what would I tell people to do? What are some things you can realistically do? So one of them is I say to people, if you're not happy with the work you're doing, or there's something in your life that just drags you down, or you're just have this little bit of like a curiosity, I wonder if, or I'm always thinking I can't do something, but what if I could? I wonder what that would look like. Go find out, raise your hand, ask somebody to help you. Yep. I work and I put work in air quotes. Y'all can't see me, but I work. Ooh, I work um, in coaching people and in the therapeutic setting, right? Mm-hmm. Raise your hand and get help. There are to me unlimited possibilities. Now, I'm certainly not going to, you know, pump your head up and lie to you. And if you come and ask me like, hey, Eileen, I've been thinking I could go play for 
the WNBA. Right. <laughs> Use that example too, Eileen. I'm Shut like, up. Someone's got to tell me, girl, you're 5'3 on a good day. You're not going to be in that day. WNBA. Yeah. <laughs> but you know what? Yes, you could. Maybe you could be their performance coach. I could. That's where right? I am. I am an, uh, adjacent to the players. Yes. 100%. So I like to help people unlimit their mindset. But I love that. Right. Unlimit your mindset and ask for help, which is also the thing that is so hard and scary. And Mm. there's shame behind it. There's fear. There's embarrassment. There's so much doubt in asking for help. But humility is such a gift. And I've had to embrace that too. I have no problem anymore raising my hand and asking questions because I want to stay curious and I want to grow. Um, and it just happened this week. I, uh, we all, I'm not gonna say we all saw because I always see things last. So as much as I'm on Instagram, I see things last, but Michaela Cole with her speech when she won her award the other night, God, yeah, I had to write this down because if I were like, honestly, if you said, Oh, sum this all up, which you didn't, but I'm going to, uh, thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Carrie, for asking me that question. <laughs> and thank you, Michaela Cole, for having the answer. And the answer is this part of her speech. It's write the tale that scares you, yes. that makes you feel uncertain, that isn't comfortable. I dare you. Yes. That is all day, every day. If yep. I have a global megaphone, I tell people, Come over here. I will hold you in a safe space so you can do that. You can talk about, cry about, write about, unpack and relieve yourself of the tales that scare you, the things that you're uncertain about, and get you back to a place of comfort, but only temporarily because we really grow when we're uncomfortable. Yep. But that's what I do for people. And that's what I want people to come into. I... First of all, we've had so many mic drop moments with you already because we should end there. But I always want to get Kelly's thoughts on it. And I think that asking for help and having all that shame associated with asking for help, Kelly and I talk about this a lot. I knew I grew up with it where like you didn't ask for help because then you're not very smart. And I remember meeting one of the smartest people I ever knew. I knew and she always asked questions. And I was like, what? She's asking mm. questions. What? why is she doing this? She's really smart. And then I'm like, what the hell is my, like, whoa, (laughs) it was such a, it was such a mind shift change. And then when I got my um, PhD, I would listen to these PhDs present. Mm -hmm. And I use this example all the time. They, they're constantly getting questions. They go, huh, I don't know that. I'll probably have to look into that. And and if anyone is going to be cocky, it yeah. would be someone who got it, who wrote a dissertation on it. And, but yet so many of them are like, I have no idea. I'm like, you are some of the smartest people I've ever met who do all this research all day. And they're like, great question. I don't know. And they're so curious. And if you are not raised to be curious mm-hmm. and just, there's so much shame to that. I know Kelly and I joke about our German backgrounds mm-hmm. um, often because you should know it. There's a lot of shoulding. In the German culture that Kelly and I, but Kel, I'm sure you want to say something about the shooting. (laughs) Well, I mean, what stands out to me the most, Eileen, in your story is just how incredibly 
vulnerable you are, number one. So thank you for being so um, authentic and real. But I think that there's a lot of people who are in that, who have been in, are in that same boat right now, or who have to struggle with being in their own skin, as it were. So when you talked about, you know, dropping your six-figure income, getting real with yourself, what was that first step you took? Because maybe it's the first step that someone's maybe not even sure what to do in that moment that could really help them. So what, what is your recommendation? Well, I filed unemployment. Well, there you oh. go. So <laughs> on a very practical level, yes, there's that for sure. First things first, file for the unemployment. <laughs> That's like a real thing though, honestly. Mm-hmm. People are, wait. They're like, well, it says it waits and it's a, no, file it. Always file the unemployment. Um, but then what I did for myself to help figure out what that thing and that next step was going to be is I raised my hand to a few women who I had seen go their own way, start their own work space. And I asked them for a little bit of time to chat. And two things, there's three things that some that, that were said to me that really resonated. The first was just sit and be still. Mm-hmm. I was like, yeah, but I don't have any work. Like if I sit still, how am I going to like start a business? Sit and figure out what that is. This is like your only chance. So I sat quietly for a while. And the other was just because you can do the work doesn't mean you have to. Mm. And that was part of the evolution that I've walked and worked through. And yes, I too have a therapist. (laughs) Everyone needs a therapist and don't go to therapists who don't have therapists. But I, um, there was work that I was able to do and I can specifically recall taking a contract with a company and they wanted me on site and I physically got sick to my stomach being in their office after a short time. And I was like, I can't keep doing this work because the culture here doesn't work for me. Um, so I think sitting people need to sit, but then also identify people that you can comfortably open up to, um, And I know I'm a stranger to probably almost anybody who's going to be listening to this, but I can be that person. I'm, I literally, I'm, I'm magical with strangers. I'm just going to say it. I'm magical. Well, I mean, again, it just, it goes, it speaks to that idea of if you're not uncomfortable, you're not growing. If you're not trying new things or taking a step outside of what is quote unquote, your comfort zone, you're doing yourself a disservice first and foremost. Um, and really putting an investment and in kind of reacquainting yourself with who you are. Because with experience, as you mentioned, if you don't take advantage of the experiences that you're given and make decisions to change behavior, um, do something different in life, you're not necessarily paying homage to the experience that you've endured is sort of the lesson I've gotten out of, mm-hmm. out of um, what you shared. And I think, you know, I feel so much more, I mean, knew you, you know, a bit before our, our conversation today, but um, I feel like I know you so much better. And for those of you who are interested in connecting with Eileen, please check out the show notes for more of her information. Um, again, thank you, Eileen, so much for opening up to us, sharing your very powerful, um, poignant story, um, and for giving us incredible tips that we can take for ourselves to become more familiar and true to ourselves as individuals. Thank you so much.
Well, thank you both for having me. I love um, I love how we came to get to know each other and can continue to get to know each other more and differently and deeply. And yeah, I'll totally come back for another episode if you'll have me. We would love thank to you. have you, Eileen. <laughs> we would love to have you. Thank you again. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the Recharge Your Life podcast. Please sign up for our newsletter at abracigroup.com and follow us on social media. You can find us on LinkedIn at Abrachi Group, Instagram at Warriors of HR, and Twitter at Warriors underscore HR. Remember to subscribe to our podcast, leave a review, and please tell a friend. And be sure to drop us a note on how you are recharging your life. We can't wait to hear from you.